Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead. All right, today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, we have Guy Rogers. Guy, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's my pleasure to be with you, John. Thanks. Now, a lot of you have heard in the past about Pinnacle Forum. I'm a member of Pinnacle. It's just been a just a powerful experience with this group of men that I'm at in my life. And, and Guy, you're CEO right now of Pinnacle Forum. Let me share a little bit about your background, and then I'm really looking forward to diving in deeper to your whole story because there's just so much there that I know is really going to encourage people with what they're working on right now. We get so much great feedback from our audience about where they are, what they're trying to uh, where they're trying to go in their life, both spiritually, professionally, in the kingdom, and you have just so much background in that. This is going to be a great interview for everybody listening. So uh, I know that you, uh, Guy, you have had a background in both education, business, politics, and in the nonprofit sectors. Uh, Guy's co-owned a small retail business, been a public high school teacher, adjunct professor at the graduate level, vice president of a polling company, founded two political consulting and strategy firms. I don't know if we're going to get into politics, Guy, but I'd love to get your take on what's going on right now. Uh, (laughs) His nearly uh, 60 clients have included four presidential campaigns, several members of Congress, state attorney general, uh, in executive leadership roles uh, with state and national nonprofit organizations. Guy has helped build very successful grassroots networks comprising of thousands of chapters, addressing issues ranging from protecting religious liberty, traditional family, and combating the threat of radical Islam. In 1998, he was named a rising star by Campaigns and Elections magazine. Uh, Guy's also a graduate of the very highly regarded Buckley School of Public Speaking. And Guy, you've appeared on hundreds of TV and radio news and talk programs. You've been a presenter at business, nonprofit, educational, political conferences, training seminars, and almost every state in the nation, 47 states. Uh, you've preached and taught in non-denominational churches, representing nearly a dozen denominations. Uh, you've been a featured speaker at conferences, training Christian political leaders uh, in Latin America. You've been listed in three who's who organizations, including the National Register of Who's Who of Executives and Professionals. You uh, you and Beth have been married since 77. That is awesome. Love to hear that. Don and I have been married 26 years now, so we got a ways to go. And you have uh, two kids. One is an Air Force officer and pilot, which I really uh, love that. And uh, your daughter is an aspiring professional ballet dancer. So what a great family. So I would love for you to share, though, and kind of fill in some of that and maybe just kind of bring us back even to the early days and share a little bit about your journey, Guy. Okay. All right. Um, well, again, thank you for having me on, John. And um, uh, I think what my story is going to tell anybody who listens is the amazing ways in which God can reach us, that God can transform us, and that God can take us on a journey we would never, ever imagine possible. Uh, I grew up in a totally unchurched home in Omaha, Nebraska. And when I mean unchurched, I mean like the first time I went to a church service, I was 18 years old. And uh, at the age of 16, I didn't know why crosses were on churches. Uh, so that's how totally biblically wow. church illiterate I was about Christianity. And um, the summer after I graduated from high school, I went to a, a Young Life camp in Colorado and um, was dramatically, just very radically saved. 
So, uh, so what brought but, you from not knowing what a cross meant on a church to going to a Young Life camp? Um, I had a locker partner my senior year who was in Young Life, and um, he he had a flyer in our locker uh, that was advertising a weekend retreat in the fall in October of 1972. And um, at that time, <clears throat> my parents were going through their second divorce. See, I not only come from an unchurched family, I come from a very broken family. My parents were divorced when I was 15, and then they remarried each other when I was 16, and then, then they divorced again when I was 17. So I had a very turbulent high school, and so getting away from the house, away from that whole situation for any pretense or reason was was something I was always seeking out. So here I see about this retreat uh, in an over, a weekend and so on, and he says, "Oh yeah, it's a group called Young Life. I'd never heard of it, didn't know anything about it." Uh, and then he and then he used the bait of, "And there's a lot of cute girls there, guy." And I said, <laughs> "Well, you know, hey, hey, <laughs> um, that's worth coming just for that." So, uh, so I started going to, as a matter of fact, they had a meeting that night, so I went. And um, it was very different than, than what I would have expected. There was obviously a Christian uh, flavor to it, but my view of Christianity was very skewed uh, and, and very ignorant. And um, so I ended up going to their meetings on and off for the next several months and began to ask a few questions and listen and, and try to figure out what this was all about. And then they announced that they were going to be taking um, people to a, a, a week-long camp in Colorado the next summer. And remarkably, growing up in Omaha, I had never been to Colorado before uh, and um, always wanted to. And so this was a great opportunity. So my brother and I signed up um, and uh, went out on, on the um, – the, the trip to Colorado, it was at a, it's no longer a Young Life camp, it was called Silver Cliff Ranch, and um, the night when, and that, by the way, that was the first time I heard the life of Jesus from, you know, from beginning to end. Uh, they had this very dynamic speaker, and um, the, the night that he talks about the crucifixion, uh, he, he uh, challenged us to go out and walk the grounds and, and just contemplate this and pray about it, think about it. And I don't remember praying any kind of a sinner's prayer per se, or four spiritual laws or anything like that. Uh, but it was clear when I, I, I looked up to heaven and I just knew that God was calling me and gave my life to him. And, um, that was the beginning of an amazing journey. Uh, but, um, I was one of those who a lot of zeal, but not much knowledge at that time. And, um, uh, and that led to, uh, the next 10 years of God bringing three men into my life who were very, very influential. One was the, the new director of Omaha Young Life. Mm -hmm. The second was the pastor of a church that my wife and I ended up going to. We got married in 1977, so that was four years later. And then the third was uh, the president of the Omaha Bible School. And the Lord led me to this man in 1978, and uh, he was actually guest preaching in the church that my wife and I had just started going to where her in-laws went. And I remember sitting there watching him that morning, and, and a remarkable teacher. I think he had probably about half of the Bible memorized. He would just teach just in this amazing way. And I'm sitting there in the pew, and all of a sudden I just hear this voice inside that says, go ask him to disciple you. Hmm. Uh, and and um, I... I I really figured that must be the Lord because I would have never thought of that myself. Uh, I really didn't even know for sure what that meant. 
And so I went up to him afterwards, introduced myself, and said, you know, this may sound crazy, Pastor Ollie, but um, I think the Lord spoke to me about asking you to disciple me. And he said, when do you want to get started? And over the next four years, we met um, just about every Monday, and, and um, he, put, he would put different books in front of me, and I would read them, and we would, we would do question and answer. And he was using Socratic method, which I didn't even know what that was at that time, to, you know, question and answer to search truth. And I think I read over that four years about 300 books, John. Um, and in I was four years? From, in four years. Why wow, you Everything just, you just from, had a thirst, didn't you? A hunger for knowledge. Oh, there was it was amazing. Uh, it was it was like the, this whole world opened up, uh, and it was it was kind of like going down one path and then another path and another path. I read everything from Francis Schaeffer and C.S. Lewis and Os Guinness to the history of revivals, uh, comparative philosophy, comparative theology. It was just like an explosion. Uh, in that four years of time. So for and, four um, years, what do you think was behind you just constantly trying to find the, the next book, the next nugget, the next, what, what was, what was that feeling in your life? Um, I think there was, I think it was just one of those things where I just have this real deep desire to know things. Mm -hmm. uh, this was true even before I was a Christian. And I, would, I was often frustrated in school because I was bored. Uh, and so um, I had a few, couple of teachers during my elementary and, and middle school, they called it junior high back then, who figured out that, that I really needed to be challenged more than I was getting challenged. Mm -hmm. um, but um, this was really a time where, like, when I began to see this world unlocking and so many things made sense, so many questions that were answered that I didn't even know I had. And of course, every time I got a question answered, five more came. Mm -hmm. um, did you, in the movie, um, God's not dead. Uh, was it one or two? I can't remember now where the, uh, the young man who's Japanese, um, goes to the pastor and says, I have some questions, pastor. And he said, okay, let's talk about them. How many? 147. <laughs> that was you, huh? That was me. That was me. And, and, and then he comes back later and says, okay, I've got these questions answered, but I've got more questions. And so it was just a, it was, and I think the other thing about it was growing up in a family where I just had no exposure at all to anything Christian or biblical, that this was, this was like going through the wardrobe and lying witch in the wardrobe mm -hmm. and getting out in Narnia. And you know, there's a world out here I had no idea existed. Mm. Uh, so the more I looked, the more my tongue got salted for more. And it was just a, a fascinating, exciting time and journey. And um, God awakened in me four passions at that time. Uh, one was a passion to see his model, the Jesus model of discipleship, really, really incorporated uh, well into the body of Christ. Uh, the second was to see the sp a spiritual revival in our nation, the likes of which we've seen in the past, like with the first great awakening. Um, <clears throat> the third was uh, to see a biblical worldview and apologetics. Uh, take center stage in Christianity, and the fourth was to see cultural transformation and reformation. And of course, those four really interweaved, and so 
so that was what happened during that period of time. And that was through 1982. And then we moved out of the Omaha area to Iowa, bought my father's business. And um, we had a Christian band at that time, mm-hmm. my wife and brother and brother-in-law and I. And so we were playing on weekends and I was getting some opportunities to teach in youth groups and churches and so on. And we thought this is what God had called us to do. You know, this was it. And um, as so often is the case, how's the saying go? If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. And um, <laughs> yes, I've made God laugh many times, guy. Me too. Me too. Unfortunately, uh, and, at least he has a good sense of humor. <laughs> he does. He does. And I think the other thing is that he doesn't seem to show us very far in the future where he wants to take us, because I think we'd probably run away from him if we really knew. Uh, if we if he showed us too much too soon. Ooh, you so, know, that, that's a really interesting point. Uh, I'd love for you to maybe say a little bit more about that. Well, you know, when you look at it, and where is it in the Psalms, your word is a lamp unto my feet. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember I was studying that once, and the, the, the study I was, was looking at said, when this was written, a lamp didn't shine very far. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't like a spotlight. You had enough light to go see a few steps in front of you, and then it was, then it was dark. So you had to really trust the light, but you couldn't see too far out ahead. And um, I look at things that have happened in my life, and I've talked to other people as well, and I've concluded that, you know, when we ask the Lord to show us things way out ahead, he really is doing us a favor and showing great mercy when he doesn't do that. Because he's equipping us day by day and transforming us day by day for things he wants to do with us in the future that we're simply not prepared for. And, um, I, I think if we could see too far out in the future, we would, um, we'd run, uh, because the challenges grow, uh, the responsibilities grow. Uh, and, um, so anyway, so I wasn't, so I wasn't seeing that far out ahead at that time. Mm-hmm. I thought I was, and what the Lord ended up doing was, uh, as I'd like to tell people about this time of my life, so this was about 83 to 86, he dragged me kicking and screaming into the political world. Uh, it wasn't something I was looking for. It wasn't something that I anticipated. Um, and the, uh, the opportunity for that was at that time in Iowa and Nebraska, what were called non-accredited Christian schools and homeschools were under an intense amount of pressure by the state governments. And, um, you know, we're hearing today all the issues of religious freedom that are happening. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's around us everywhere. Well, I saw it 30 years ago. And I saw what happened when uh, pastors were having schools that they were following the dictates of their conscience and, uh, and, and their, their understanding of, of education in a biblical context. In April of 1987, I, st- I stood on the steps of a courthouse in Mount Pleasant, Iowa, and watched a pastor and his wife go to jail for 30 days because they had a non-accredited Christian school Despite the fact that all the testing, they used Iowa basic skills testing at that time, all the testing showed all the kids in their school were doing just fine, better than public school kids, but see, that wasn't the issue. The issue was control. Mm -hmm. And so that process opened my eyes to another world that I wasn't aware of, and um, I was asked to lead a grassroots effort in Iowa, which I had never done before, and I told them no, because I hadn't done it before. Um, and yet they persisted, and so I eventually said yes, and um, that was in 1986, 
It took a few years, but we got the laws changed in Iowa by 1980, was it 88 or 89? And that paved the way for a lot of other states to relax their laws or at least not tighten them up because Iowa was a bellwether state with respect to uh, what was happening at that time. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so that was kind of the door that opened into that world. And from there, I went into how I worked in the presidential campaigns. I, um, uh, as the bio said, I, I started two different political consulting firms. I was the first national field director of the Christian Coalition. If oh, any of us remember that. Yep. Yeah. He was the executive director. I was the national field director. You know, I started, I worked with Ralph Reed to start the Colorado faith and freedom coalition. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I started there in 91, mm-hmm. uh, when it was still in its infancy. And, um, so I got an opportunity to, uh, flex my muscles, if you will, with respect to how do you build a national chapter based organization? Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there up until 2013, I, I did, a, like, like the bio said, I was vice president of a polling company for a couple of years. I pioneered a classical Christian education foundation. Um, I was an adjunct professor at Regent University out in uh, Virginia Beach, taught in the School of Government. Um, and, um, and the last thing I did before I came to, to Pinnacle Forum was a startup in 2007 called Act for America, and the mission of that organization was to combat the threat of radical Islam. And the woman who had the vision for that wanted to create a national chapter-based organization like Christian Coalition with the mission of dealing with the threat of radical Islam, not just with respect to terrorism, but uh, with respect to what is called stealth jihad in, in that movement, in that world of of, of trying to infiltrate cultures with Sharia law. Yeah, which they've uh, done John, very this, successfully in Europe, and they're, doing, they're working very hard to do the same thing here. Very successful in Europe, and um, this will probably surprise your listeners, but uh, in 2000, I think it was 2010 or 2011, an organization called Center for Security Policy did a report on, there were some 55 different judicial rulings at both the trial and appellate level where judges had used Sharia law to make adjudications in America. Mm. And, and so, so, so I did that for about six and a half years and left there in November, 2013, really at its, at its zenith. I mean, it, it had grown. We had a, a very strong national organization, but I knew God was calling me on to the next stage of my life and didn't know what that was. There's your lamp again, John. <laughs> um, I didn't know what that was, but I knew that it was a sense of now coming full circle back to the early 80s of those four passions. Um, I'd been involved in cultural transformation. I'd seen that, certainly been involved in various aspects of mentoring and discipleship and the things that I'd done, but I was really getting a very strong sense from the Holy Spirit that I was now to take all of that experience in building chapter-based organizations, in the strategies and tactics that happened in that particular world I was in, and there was something that God had for me, and I didn't know what it was yet, but I was to start pursuing that. So I, I spent 18 months doing consulting work again in a season of time where I was able to, um, to, to run at a pace that was less frenetic. It was kind of a, a, a partial sabbatical, if you will, 
this was from November of 13 to the um, <clears throat> the middle of last year. Okay. And that gave me an opportunity to really kind of get refreshed and and put my ear to the ground and and the spiritual ground and to talk to friends I knew around the country who were who were leaders in in uh, in uh, Christian ministries and organizations and uh, what what was God saying to them? You know, what were they seeing? I, I, the culture was unraveling. I mean, that I could see because when you work in the world, the, polit- the political world, you can't miss it. Um, and, and there were some really, a couple of really definite things that became very clear to me during that time. Um, and then I found out about an opportunity to be president and CEO for an organization called Pinnacle Forum. This was June of last year. So I threw my hat in the ring and... Um, as they say, the rest is history, and I moved out from Florida to Arizona October 1st of last year. So I'm in just finished seven months of, uh, of uh, pursuing this with great gusto and exhilaration. Yes, you are, and I'm excited to talk about Pinnacle, but I want to go back because, you know, there's so many people out there that I hear from, and they're really trying to get some, like, this perfect clarity about their identity and their calling, almost like it's this, um, it's something that's like buried deep within them and they need to just take, you know, dig it out and find it and explore it. And I think that's one way to look at it. But I think what you're talking about, I think this is the appropriate way to look at it, is that, you know, as you work in your passions and as you understand yourself and you understand what brings you to life, right? Especially if you in that context of how Christ created you and what he created you for. You talk about this light and it's these small steps forward as you keep taking them, that that future just kind of keeps emerging as you move toward it. So it's almost like instead of starting with clarity, you actually start with action. You start with taking these small steps forward and, and you, you've, you've done this over and over in your life. And I'd love maybe for you to share with some people out there that are really trying to um, understand this whole concept of what they've been called to do, but how, what has worked for you guy as you've keep moving into different seasons of your life and you've, you've done this well. Well, the, the motto of of pinnacle forum, as you know, is transforming leaders to transform culture. Yes. So the heart of this is, each of us as individuals walking this progression of increased transformation, uh, what, what has traditionally theologically been called sanctification, uh, this process of being matured, of being conformed to the image of Christ. And I think sometimes what happens is that we get too hung up on what should be my next decision as far as what I do and not focused on what it is, God, that you would have me be. Mm. Oswald Chambers talks about this in his My Utmost for His Highest. There's a, more than one place he, he addresses this. And he says, he says and it's a paraphrase, but he says, when we are walking with Christ, when we are walking in that place in the Spirit, we are abiding in Him, the decisions we make come emanate from the Spirit within us that that are literally our common sense conforms to that. And that's a really, really, I think, very freeing, very liberating message because we don't 
yes, we all get in situations where we've got three, you know, an option where to fork in the road. We know it. <clears throat> we know we're there. And what decision do I make? And this is a pretty big time. You know, this, do I go left? Do I go right? Do I choose this? Do I choose that? And um, if we're not careful, we get so bogged down in the decision that we don't, we don't hear the obvious that comes from just being in Christ and letting Christ speak through us uh, to the situation. And um, I'm not trying to get too you know, overly mystical here, uh, though I believe there is a, a mystical aspect to that because spirituality in its very nature is very non-physical. Therefore, it's, it's, it's mystical in its own sense. Um, but I had the advantage of how I came into Christianity of the hunger that I had for truth and the men that impacted me, especially Pastor Ali, to have this sense of always wanting to find, Lord, what, what do you want to do in my life in terms of me being who you want me to be? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that is just, that's, that's where it happens. Um, and so my exhortation to your listeners, if they're at that place or struggling with some of that is, it might, the simplest thing may just be to just let go of trying to figure things out right now and just latch on to Jesus. And just, and that was the neat thing about what happened to me when I left the, that position at Act for America in November 2013. I didn't know what I was supposed to do next other than I had this really powerful tugging that I was supposed to move in a, in a different direction. And there were some fits and starts during that 18 months. There, was, there were a couple things that looked like they were doing the right thing. There were certainly times I had questions, Lord, what do you have for me? But the thing that framed all of it that was the most important was that this was a time where I was able to fast and pray, spend much more time in the Word, um, and be able to take the time to listen. And in our very chaotic culture, frenetic culture, we do not do very well in Christianity with the discipline of being quiet and in solitude before the Lord. Uh, and um, so there were many nights I'd be up in the middle of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning. Nobody around, mm-hmm. nothing to distract you. And I didn't have to be at the office at 8. So if I was up for a couple of hours and I slept a little longer than normal, I slept till 7, 30, 8 o'clock, it was okay. And it was in that season that the Lord just prepared me for the next step by by just doing things with me and in me at that time and not specifically saying, okay, here's what you're going to do next. Um, And so that would be, um, and by the way, John, at our national conference we had um, two weeks ago, one of our speakers was Chris Widener, who uh, was the, um, he was the co-host with Zig Ziglar on uh, Ziglar's TV program. And Chris does a message on the art of influence, and he takes it from Romans 12, too. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he says, when you, when you look at the typical presentations about influence and leadership, it's do these things to have these things. And he says, really, it should be be, then do, then you will have. And uh, so it lined up perfectly with what I, the message I'm trying to communicate with in Pinnacle Forum is it's the personal transformation and the walk with Christ that's the center of everything. And out of that emanates 
I discover my calling. I understand my passions because I understand me because of what the Lord reveals to me in this walk. Oh, I think that is so powerful, and I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, understanding, you know, I think there's two big questions that we have to answer as you're going through this, and that sounds like this was a big part of, well, your whole journey and really during your sabbatical is, you know, who is God, right? Studying Christ and, and who he is, um, that personal relationship that we can have with him. Uh, it always, I always think of, you know, that, that uh, scripture, you know, ask anything in my name, and I'll, and, uh, I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember it exactly, and it shall be granted unto you. Um, but I think, you know, that, that, like a precursor to that is, though, abide in me, and, I'm, and I abide in you. So when you're abiding in Christ and Christ abides in you, when, when you're asking in your, in your prayer time for what's next, it's so in alignment with not only who God is, but who he made you to be, then he can start revealing what's going to happen. He's going to start bringing in the, the resources, the ideas, the people in your life to just manifest what is beyond those next couple steps in front of you that you can, that you can see right now. Uh, and you're referring to John 15. Yes. Uh, the 15th chapter of John. And the word, when Jesus said, abide, if, my words, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you, that word abide has this, this um, imagery of a constant place of resting in. And uh, this takes me back to what I said a few moments ago. In our society today, we don't do a good job of resting in anything. Um, we... I look at my, my two my two grown children. You know, they grew up in they were the first generation to grow up in a totally, you know, wired age. Okay, social media and everything else. And um, what they wrestle with is this this attraction of having to always be entertained, yeah. having to always have stimulation. You know, I mean, the joke if we've seen we've seen it. You go to a restaurant and there's a family there, the mother, father, the two kids, and they're all on their phones doing stuff, not talking to each other. And, and we see it all. We, it's, it's a trap because the scriptures are so clear that it is time in the presence of God that is the beginning of the foundation of everything else. So it would make perfect sense, John, that the enemy of our souls would take good things like great technology, all the, connect, you know, all the stuff that we have today, and use those to distract us and drive us away from God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so discovering uh, in our lives as believers that we have to make time um, not just to spend a few minutes reading you know, a devotional, but to, but to really carve out sufficient time uh, to, to be in the presence of God, that's an essential. Uh, and, what um, does that look like in your life, Guy? Um, it, it has a certain, uh, uh, a certain, p- certain parameters to it, but not so hard and fast that I don't allow the Holy Spirit to, to do things, you know, in different ways. Um, it's, um, I try to do this in the morning. Um, there are sometimes I can't. It's just there's a challenge with either, you know, I've got a six o'clock flight, you know, and I'm up late the night before, so it's just too difficult from a, from a bodily rest perspective. Uh, but it's typically in the morning, uh, begin my day, um, and um, 
I used to, I used to, to reach for, okay, Jesus, remember that when he talked to the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, could you not pray with me for at least an hour? And so there are those who say, you know, if we use that as kind of a guideline, as a discipline, um, and many, many years ago when I was first exposed to this, so this would have been at the time I was being discipled, so we're talking 35 years ago, 36 years ago, so I, I would aim for this time of, okay, I need to spend, you know, about an hour with the Lord. Here's the thing that's happened, John, over the years. I don't have to clock it anymore. Um, there has become such an, uh, uh, a place where when I get into the presence of the Lord, that if I'm not careful, I'm, I'm 90 minutes in and don't even realize it. Mm. And, and, uh, so, and how that looks, um, I t- typically begin with just worshiping, uh, either singing worship music or a combination of just reflecting on who God is. Uh, it's very worshipful to sit back and think upon the fact that here was the being who created a hundred billion galaxies and yet is humble enough that in the person of his son to take on the uh, form of a helpless, defenseless baby. That in itself should drive us to our knees if we contemplate it long enough. Um, and so, it's in those, so I begin there. Uh, it usually takes me to a place where the Lord will show me things that I need to confess, uh, pride issues, um, you know, whatever those might be. And, um, and so probably in a typical hour or so, in terms of worship and, and confession and repentance and then just listening, that probably takes up 75 to 80% of the time. But at that point, what happens is now any intercession that happens for others, I've discovered has real power because you are aligning yourself at that point in time in a conscious, deliberate way to be in the presence of God. And so out of the then, so now you, I take my prayer list and, and I just let that go. And I start, I bounce off of that and I let go to another thing, to another thing. The Lord will bring things to my mind. And, um, uh, and uh, before I know it, <clears throat> I'm, I'm through almost an hour. And then if I haven't already opened up my Bible as part of my prayer, which oftentimes I will, uh, I'll pray from the Psalms, for instance. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a big believer in praying from the Psalms, so I may do that. Uh, I'll have certain things I'm studying at a particular time. I'm stu- studying Jeremiah right now. I try to do some of the New Testament, some of the Old Testament. I just kind of weave that all in, but still allow the Lord the flexibility to say, okay, yeah, you're studying Je- Jeremiah, but I get a sense I need to turn to, you know, John 15 this morning mm-hmm. and just let that speak to me. Um, and, and my Bible right now that I'm using is called the Revival Study Bible, which has been a great study Bible. Uh, I got it a couple of years ago. So that's, that's kind of how it looks. Well, I, I, lo- I'm, I thank you for sharing that because I think, you know, for people to hear, you know, things that have worked for you and been so encouraging for you and, and, and brought you s- such a deep relationship and such clarity in your life, um, I, I, I'm really grateful that, that you took the time to, to go through that. And I'd love for you to share now, like all this comes together, because I know quite a bit about Pinnacle. There's people out there listening uh, who don't know a lot about Pinnacle, but everything that you've shared really comes together in exactly how Pinnacle is serving leaders, both men and women, forward in their lives like you're talking about. And can you share a little bit about that? Well, let me go back to the transforming leaders to transform culture, because that's really the heart of this. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the, 
there is there is a I believe a misunderstanding in Christianity today about what leadership is with respect to the distribution of leadership gifts. Um, whenever you, whenever I hear the phrase and it's used both in Christianity and it's also used in secular culture, um, you can be anything you want to be. If you just try hard enough and work hard enough and believe hard enough, I got to tell you, I'd have never been a major league baseball pitcher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I would have never been an NBA basketball player. Um, and no matter how hard I would have tried, how hard I would have believed, because God did not distribute those gifts to me. Um, he distributed other gifts to me. And, and, and so there, I think there's a misunderstanding with respect to that heart of what, it, of what God is equipping each of us to do. You know, we look at the 12 disciples, and we often overlook the fact that, that Jesus picked out three I mean, not only did he start with just 12 and spent most of his time with 12, which is a a pattern of discipleship that the whole church was built on, but out of the 12, he chose three, Peter, James, and John, in whom he invested, obviously, from the record of the Gospels, more time in, I mean, they were the ones he took up on the Mount of Transfiguration. These are the people that he, of the 12, um, did it probably cause some jealousy among the other nine? My guess it did. There's evidences of that, you know, where they start arguing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, you know, some of those things that were happening. And yet Jesus did it anyway. Why? Because, and Paul talks about this when he speaks about the body of Christ and how each of us have a place in the body of Christ. We're not all given the same proportion or types of gifts. And some are given more, some are given gifts that have the potential to have greater influence than others. It's not an elitist thing. It's not a, I'm better than you, uh, or I'm a more superior Christian. What it really means is if God has given those to you, there is a, to whom much is given, much is expected, uh, aspect of that. And so I, when I talk about leadership, and it's, this is obviously not original with me, this phrase, but I, I always try to talk about servant leadership. Because if, if a person has been given greater gifts with respect to, let's say, the ability to communicate or, or uh, the ability to build a successful business or whatever, um, uh, those are not to be used for the advancement of your own kingdom. They are to be used for the advancement of God's kingdom and to steward the influence that he gives you as a result of having those gifts. So that model, transforming leaders of transform culture, that's what it means. It means it begins with us discovering and understanding how God gifted us, where we fit in the body of Christ. Uh, that's an ongoing process. It's not a static thing. It's a continuing unveiling and out of that, then, because if we truly are growing in Christ, we will have the humility to walk in a place of servant leadership rather than a place of lording over others. And, and so the Pinnacle Forum, its, its mission is to seek out people who have been, have been granted, not of their own accord, not anything they did to earn it, but they have been granted, uh, let's say, an extra portion of influence. Uh, or an extra portion of a gift, gift here or gift there. And there's a high responsibility, responsibility and calling to use that in service to the body of Christ and thus in service to the advancement of his kingdom and thus in, in, in transforming culture. Uh, and so it was like when I looked at, I remember when the, um, 
the email came across my desk. Halftime Talent was the, the search company for Pinnacle Forum. And uh, Halftime had actually connected me in 2014 to a nonprofit organization, which I did consulting work for. So I open up the, um, the email, and I see the opportunity for president and CEO. So I, I do what anybody does. I go to the Pinnacle Forum website, and I see that motto. And it just struck me that, that this is what God had been working through my life for the better part of 35 years, step by step, step by step, a little greater responsibility, a little greater opportunity, all the while letting him transform me so that I could take that step to that next place. And this is the message that I'm bringing and just, and it's not new to new to pinnacle forum. I'm simply recasting it in a, from my perspective in terms of my walk and saying, you know, let's, let's really get serious about the heart and soul of what this is. The heart and soul of this is not transforming culture. The heart and soul of this is walking with Christ so that he conforms us to his image, out of which we discover who we are, what our giftings are, what our calling is, what our passion is, and thus how we can, in fact, transform culture. Well, and that's the thing I appreciate, I think, the most about Pinnacle Forum and everybody out there you know, listening. You know, being around a group of like-minded men and women that are growing in that relationship with Christ— you know, uh, the, the kind of the, the format with Pinnacle Forum, which I've always really appreciated, is it's about encouraging each other, then equipping each other for what, you know, what your talents, what your gifts, what your passions are, engaging each other in conversation to, to bring that out in the fullest. But it's also about execution. How do you take all that and move it into action? And I think that's where a lot of groups, a lot of forums... Uh, don't they kind of miss that final piece? Because I think as leaders, we want to bring that out fully. Like you talked about, how do we advance the kingdom? How do we steward the, the, these gifts in a way that serves uh, God's purposes, but in a way that's actually proactive? It's you know, it's you're you're creating results, you're creating outcomes, right? We're uh, we're kind of wired that way. A lot of people in leadership roles, and we want to be able to do that authentically, coupled and in in partnership. Um, with Christ, and then what Pinnacle Forum has done for me is give me an opportunity to do that in relationship with other in our group. It's all men, uh, and I know there's there's women. There's only groups that, that do that also. And I'd love for you to share maybe some of the things that have come out of the forums. If you've you've been the CEO here for a while, and what what's the experience people would have uh, being in a forum? Because I think there's a lot there's a lot, I would say everybody listening who's in a leadership role who's really resonating with what Guy is sharing, this is a a group, a format, uh, relationships that's really going to just be a huge encouragement and value in your life. Well, when I looked at closely at Pinnacle Forum, it became clear to me that there were three key elements to what I see as an overall very distinctive strategy. The first is the forum experience. That's not distinctive necessarily to Pinnacle Forum. Mm -hmm. There are other organizations that do this. But the Pinnacle Forum forum experience at the heart of this is, is so critical because in my experience personally and in the experience that I've seen with many other leaders, both Christian and non-Christian, is that leadership is a pretty lonely walk. 
mm-hmm. that there aren't that oftentimes as a result of either being uh, having been betrayed by others or who can I trust or whatever the, the reason is or just the way you're wired, you know the the there's a metaphor that that uh, eagles which oftentimes we refer to leaders as eagles. Eagles don't flock. They don't flock together. They fly, they fly solo. And, and that, is, um, that is a strength. It's also a weakness. And what the form experience does is allows uh, leaders to be in a, in a situation, in a confidential place, where they can be authentic and transparent with other leaders. And our typical form is about, as you know, it's about seven or eight <clears throat> to ten people. And they can then grow in that relationship in ways that they can't get or have a hard time finding anywhere else. So the form experience is the foundation of this. And then you mentioned what we call the 4E strategy. The form experience is the vehicle through which these 4Es occur, encouraging each other, not only in our walk in Christ, but encouraging to discover what our our calling is in Christ, Um, the equipping, we, we look for resources that are specifically geared towards helping us to discover what that calling is and how to be more effective in servant leadership. Uh, engaging, uh, so we, we, our, our encouragement is to be in, uh, intentional about engaging the culture. Once you begin to have a sense of how God has equipped you to begin engaging the culture, uh, Lloyd Reeb, uh, call of Halftime Talent, or with Halftime Talent, I guess, uh, I don't know if he still is or not, but with Halftime Talent, he, he refers to this as low-cost probes of beginning to investigate where I, you know, where I would engage in the culture, what's my passion. For one person, it may be impacting uh, homelessness in the community. For another person, maybe you know reforming education. And then the last, as you mentioned, is execution. That's always the hardest part because turning ideas into action are always the, is always the greatest challenge. And unfortunately, I don't think we've done a real good job in the body of Christ in the last 50 to 75 years of helping people outside of just in a church, in a church wall ministry vehicle to be engaging and, and executing things within the culture for transformation. And then the third component is the horizon is what Bill Bright, he wasn't alone in this or a few others that use this, frame, this phrase as well, what Bill Bright referred to as the seven mountains of culture. Mm-hmm. And so where does God call me? What mountain of culture? Mine, the two that I've been most passionate about have been education and government. For somebody else, it's family. For another one, it's the media. Another one's arts and entertainment. And so you put those together and you have a distinctive strategy that is very biblical in its foundation. Um, it's not something that was just made up as, oh, this sounds like a good thing. You can, you can take each one of those back to a very biblical place. The forum, well, you got Jesus and his 12 disciples. You, know, you have that authentic relationships that are being built there. Um, the 4E strategy, well, that's clearly, I mean, you look at the scriptures, that's, I think, very biblical. And then how we impact the world around us is salt and light. All we've done is taken those seven mountains and say, okay, now there's specific places in which God is calling you. Um, And one of the things that's been pretty neat for me in the seven months that I've been here is hearing the stories about people who've been around this for any length of time. Um, um, One of my favorite ones is, uh, I think most of the listeners have seen God's Not Dead, uh, and maybe have seen God's Not Dead 2 since it came out on April 1st. And the story behind that is one of the founders, co-founders, a man named Russell Wolf, who a little over a year ago passed away from Lou Gehrig's disease, he got involved in Pinnacle Forum. Um, 
at a time when he was really with these men searching this vision of what eventually became called Pure Flix, which is a Christian product, uh, film, film and entertainment production company. Uh, and the people I've talked to who are around him said that his involvement at Pinnacle Forum was very uh, instrumental in him helping to flesh this out and pursue this and follow through on this calling. And then as they... As they built the company, Pinnacle Forum Partners came alongside and helped to finance films like God's Not Dead. Now, you don't see that in, you know, it's not in the, it's not in the Christian media, it's not, it's not in the film credits, because a lot of what we do in Pinnacle Forum is, is not out front, it's behind the scenes. Um, it's not what everybody would see, uh, like, say, an organization like National Right to Life, they get a bill passed that's, that protects the unborn. You know, it's an easy thing to put out there and say, you know, look what happened. This got accomplished. Here's a success story. In our case, it's a little more challenging because we're not a single-issue organization, and a lot of what happens is behind the scenes, not out front. Um, but I've heard many stories like that, stories about encouragement, about people walking lives together in forums for years and getting through difficult times, personal tragedies, uh, business tragedies, you know, whatever those, those might be. Uh, and so my message to, to people who look at pickle form as a possibility is ask yourself, number one, do you want to be everything you can be in Christ? Is that the desire of your heart? Is the desire of your heart to be all that I can be in Christ? Um, and do I want to be around other people who share that desire in such a way that, that in our encounters with each other, both encouraging each other and accountability, iron sharpening iron, we help each of us grow in our walk and discover where God placed us and his calling for us in the body of Christ. Um, if those are the people we're looking for, people who have that they've already got influence in their lives. God has given that to them, but now this gives them an opportunity to steward this in a way that they may have never dreamed possible before. And um, there are so many great stories out of Pinnacle Forum of people who uh, are seeing that as a result of being involved in this for you know two, three, four, five, ten years or more. Well, how do people find out more information about Pinnacle Forum? Uh, how to become a partner uh, guy, and you know maybe where forums are in the their, their cities across the entire United States where there's forums up and operating and growing? Well, I'm going to give you the website, and then I'm also going to give everybody my, my email address at Pinnacle Forum. Because if you're listening to this and you'd want to find out more, I'm going to encourage you to, to go ahead and email me directly. The website is PinnacleForum.com. Uh, unfortunately, over the weekend, if you go to right now, we've got some issues, some technical issues with it that they're trying to fix so it's it at least as of yesterday wasn't completely where it needed to be it's actually uh, working we, right now i was i've, I've had it, it is this good one. yeah it's perfect good right good good because we, we we just revamped it uh we spent five months actually six months revamping it and launched a new version of the site on april 1st and those things never go 100 percent seamlessly at least on my experience they haven't um so pinnacleform.com that'd be a good place to go to find out more about uh, the things I've been talking about here. And then feel free to email me, and it's guy.rogers, and the last name is R-O-D-G-E-R-S, guy.rogers at pinnacleforum.com. And that's P-I-N-N-A-C-L-E. Right, P-I-N-N-A-C-L-E, pinnacleforum.com. And um, if what I'm saying resonates with you as a listener, 
any part of this, from the personal transformation to uh, being in a place where you can find your calling in Christ, you know, please feel free to email me. John, I, I, I got to tell you, and, and this is, I think, people have said this to me, how infectious this is. When you have a sense of what you know God has called you to do, and you are really pursuing that and executing on that, that is just contagious. Um, because really, that's, that's the aspect of the fullness of the purpose that God has called us to do, too. There is a, a man named Frederick Beekner, who I call a poet theologian, and he has a, a really neat quote. He says, the place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Where your deep, that is profound. Where your deep gladness the God and the world's you deep to, hunger meet. That's right. The place God that. calls you to is the place where your deep gladness. And where's your deep gladness? When I am connected in Christ and, and being fulfilled in that walk and then know what he has called me to be and do in, in, in the body, in the world, that's the place of deep gladness. The place God calls you to is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And I love that. That deep gladness comes from knowing who you are, what your passions are, your gifts are, what, how God's created you to be. And I, I, I like how you really talked about it. it starts with the being, not trying to figure out what you need to do next. The being is the, is the key. Um, and, uh, but here's the thing that every strength has a vulnerability. As we are being, we need to act. Um, as we are being, we need to, we do, then we do need to do, um, but we need to do it in the right process. Um, and, um, uh, you know, Jesus, what did Jesus say? He said, you don't, a, light, a lamp is not placed under a bushel. You know? So as we glow in Christ, because we grow in Christ, we take that bushel off because we need to get out and not only be, but do within the world around us. Well, thank you, Guy, for your time today. And everybody who's heard this, please go to PinnacleForum.com and, and, and take a real serious look at that. Reach out to Guy, Guy.Rogers at PinnacleForum.com. Get in touch. Um, I've been in a forum now for the last year and a half, and it has just been an incredible experience and value in my life. Not just in my life, but, you know, I think part of uh, – a forum is is you get to give as much as you get. I I think that is the thing is a whole bunch of people with this mindset that I'm I'm coming to this forum to give and sow into everybody else and, and do that more than I'm getting and out of that I've I've gotten even more that's been so helpful in my life. So thank you, guy, for what you're doing. You're leading an incredible organization. Anything we can all we can do this whole community myself to help Pinnacle Forum. Uh, with what you're doing and your mission, please don't hesitate to reach out to, to any of us. And I uh, just really appreciate your time today. Uh, like I said, uh, John, it's my pleasure. And um, I appreciate you having me on and the opportunity to share some of these things. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. By the way, if you're a regular listener to Eternal Leadership, could you give John and I a hand? Could you give us a rating and review on iTunes? It's how most people listen to podcasts, and ratings and reviews help bump us up those charts. The higher we are, the more people that will 
stumble onto us. If you don't listen through iTunes, rate and review us on whatever platform you listen, or just share it with someone that you think could really benefit from our topics and guests. Thanks. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.